as Dylan says, leave the past behind. It will not follow you. And I sincerely believe that if we can leave it behind, the only way that it comes along with us is if we bring it along. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome back, Awareness Explorers and Explorers of Consciousness. I always say I'm excited about our interview. Today is uh, maybe quadruple excitement, and you'll see why. My teacher of 26 years is joining us, Justin Gold. But before I introduce Justin and say a little bit about him, I want to say hi to Brian. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing very well, Jonathan. It's, uh, we're having lovely weather for a change here in New York City. How about you out there in California? We're having fires and 103-degree weather and rolling blackouts, so uh, uh, I'll, take your time. I'll take your place anytime. But uh, I am really glad that everything's working so far, no blackouts yet, and it's really um, special for me and, and an honor to be able to have Justin on the podcast. Uh, Brian, you've been reading some of his stuff, but I actually... Uh, lived with Justin for 15 years and was his student for 26 years. So I know a few questions to ask. Let me just say a little bit about Justin. Justin was born in the Bronx, right? Was it the Bronx? Right. Okay. Bronx. So he's an American master and uh, he has a unique perspective because he's not, you know, from India or some other place. And he and I met when I was about 21 years old, and we've done a lot of adventures together, including living together, social work, traveling to the Andes and Turkey and Thailand and all kinds of places. And I, this is from a, a picture of us. I'm about 22 years old at maybe 20,000 feet in the Andes. So I'm freezing my butt off there and uh, trying to learn how not to be an indulgent slob, which I pretty much was at that age. And being with Justin definitely toughened me up. But uh, welcome to Awareness Explorers, Justin. Good to be here. You know, I listened to your Buddha at the gas pump interview a while ago, and I thought that your answers were good, but it didn't really display how unique I felt your teachings are, and also how unique the structure of what you do is, and also how unique you are. So I want to let our listeners know that I'll be asking about some things I think are really different about what you do. And one of them is that you do group work. You know, you actually live with your students. Uh, Most of your students actually live in the same area, and they interact pretty much on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm wondering what you can say as to why you structured your teaching around that. Okay. Uh, I see the, the, the dynamic as uh, introducing something new to people 
new ideas, new points of view, new perspectives, and new techniques. And the possibility of adopting uh, a new perspective or a new technique and staying on track with that idea or technique or purpose is probably less likely than for it to go off course. So uh, my purpose, really my focus after the presentation or the explanation is to try to keep things uh, on track. And I wouldn't have any idea how to keep things on track unless I were somewhere uh, uh, in the area or maybe even more efficiently right there to do that because the subtleties involved really are are considerable and uh, we're always in the process of of making something that it shouldn't be out of something that it should be so that's why a teacher is so necessary preferably one right there to keep it to go off from going off course and what would you say you do to keep things from going off course? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been the, the recipient of that a few times. <laughs> really, I have, some, I have some relatively radical ideas. My, my attitude is not radical and my, my behavior is not radical, but my ideas are, are, really, uh, are fairly radical. And I have this saying that in order for someone to really help you uh, spiritually or consciousness in consciousness they have to be able to pass the salt to you and mail a letter for you and if they can't that rules out everyone who's no longer alive and certainly people who are no longer alive can be inspirational uh, certainly but inspiration as an end product is more like entertainment than it is inspiration it has to be inspiration to something so uh, I I, the way I've seen it is uh, uh, people uh, annex themselves onto, uh, onto either people who travel through and they see them once or twice a year, or people who don't live in the area, or people who are no longer alive. And I see that those people can be, as I say, inspirational, but effective, I don't see it at all. So uh, I, I'm not one of those people, and I have I have very definite ideas of the effectiveness of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And you use the word effective, effective towards what? What would you say you're trying to do with or for your students? Well, my overall philosophy is that if we don't have it within us, we're not going to be able to put it within us because, because whatever created us has created us and uh, in, in a way as it sees fit, and it certainly has more wisdom than all of us put together. So um, the best we can do is uncover what has been created. And so I see my job is to assist people in, uh, in uncovering, not in creating, not in creating an artificial world like a monastery, not in, to creating artificial circumstances. So I basically have uh, focused myself at at uh, creating methods and supporting people in methods to uh, remove obstacles so that what's there is there because uh, peace is within us and that's a cliche but it, peace is within us and everything and and shit is within us too and we want to sort out uh, the shit from the peace and and uh, see what was there before we were covered up and that's the process that, as i see it <laughs> 
So is the shit covering up the piece uh, that's already there, and that's really the the process? I, I see the process basically of of uh, of our human lives as uh, being in phases, and the first phase is where we're children, and we have our five senses, and our job is to explore, to go out and uh, make trouble, get into trouble, be bold, take chances, uh, and uh, find out what life has to offer. Uh, and uh, I think that the idea of being a sedate or meditative child is a distortion of, of, of the understanding of what the, uh, the sequences of life give us. So uh, I think uh, kids should be encouraged to be bold and take chances, as I say, and, and, uh, and not be restricted by concepts of what they should be later or what could happen later. And not even read books about what happens later, but read books about explorers and and uh, people who have uh, done things uh, that are exciting to that person in particular. Uh, and I see the next phase really whenever it happens to come, if that person has lived boldly, that next phase as a phase of uh, repetition and getting to question, is this all there is? Is this what... Uh, do I have to seek out just another brand of this thing I've done so many times before? And that phase can last for your whole life or can last a relatively short time, depending on your ability to, to uh, observe yourself, let's say, honestly, and to call repetition repetition so that you don't start imagining that uh, if you're going to move to the West Coast, everything's going to be different because wherever you are, there you are. So... You're going to bring it all with you. And so that process of dissatisfaction builds during that time. And then to a point that a person says to themselves, there's got to be something more. Uh, not that I have a, I've had a bad time or I don't see the beauty in the sky. And that, that it's, not ni- it's, not, it's nice to, uh, to be in the warm ocean and to travel. But there's got to be something more than that, more than entertainment, more than diversion, more than variety. And then that third phase, I would call like going home or coming home, which requires a whole different set of, uh, of skill sets, let's call it. More honesty is needed, more self-discipline is needed, uh, more attraction to quiet and contemplative uh, time is needed. And uh, just it occurring to a person and slowly but surely making that turn and heading for a home where is where we began, uh, the inner reality and the inner quiet. And not that we should not, and I do, I do uh, participate in all kinds of things in life that are external and, and exciting. But uh, the process of coming home requires a different attitude toward those things, that what is not so much resting the weight of their life on those things on the activities, the external activities, but more uh, an internal peace and quiet. Are people, uh, are there people that sometimes might want to study with you or join you who might not be ready to, to come home? Or do you, um, do you sort of filter out people in that way? I think that's an excellent question. I don't think really in our society to be ready to come home, you'd probably have to be living in a hospice. Because our society <laughs> presents so many alternatives, and it all looks so good that the the uh, the, the biblical or the the uh, Hindu concept of 
wanting to uh, not return is not one that a Westerner could uh, could uh, appreciate. We don't not want to return. We want to return as Tom Cruise. We want to return as as the uh, the instigator of Amazon, or we want to be a movie actor. Or we want to be a traveler, but we don't want to not return. So there is so much temptation, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, in our life that uh, the actual process that I'm involved in has to be part of it, has to be the uh, further exploration of, okay, how, how haven't you gone out and explored, and let's do that together. And you saw that picture of Jonathan in the Andes. That's not uh, part of an internal quest seeking the secrets of the Andes, that's part of getting out there, climbing a mountain, busting your ass, and seeing what that's like. Uh, and I have involved myself and, and the people around me in, in social work and traveling and building and all kinds of things, because as you say, uh, and as obviously you understand, that uh, the coming home process is not so available to us. Right. Now you put a lot of focus on seeing one's obstacles. And I was asking Brian, you know, who read a bunch of your stuff, what he thought about that, or how it sounded. And, and maybe, Brian, you can ask that question, because I think it, it's more of a mystery to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, in reading some of your material and also talking to Jonathan throughout the years, it's sometimes hard for me to distinguish between kind of self-improvement and... Um, and finding the peace within that's already there. And if I may, I could just maybe ask this in a slightly more personal way. Um, when I was young and in school, uh, school was a nightmare to me because I felt that it was the place that you went to to find out what's wrong with you. And for so many years, I tried to fix my flaws. And I really looked honestly and looked at what I thought that they were. And nothing broke through until I stopped trying to fix myself. And then something opened inside at that point that seemed to create room for a, a kind of a of a seeing of the of the of the piece that was already there. So I was wondering whether this is a contradiction to your teaching, or whether it's actually an aspect of it, or 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 how would you react to that? I think what you describe is very much what I would seek to uh, facilitate in the people around me: the 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 letting go. And uh, what I found it's uh, to be necessary for the letting go process is to know what you're letting go of. And to know it's actually there, like bad feelings uh, and the way they they uh, uh, let's say uh, 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 inhabit us. To actually know that they're there, so that one knows when to let it go. I found that education process, that that self knowledge, that seeing things as they are, in terms of the things you're talking about, the obstacles that we have, the the negative feelings that we have, the restlessness that we have the jealousy that we have, the anger, all those things that uh, in order, I've seen, in order to let them go, uh, one has to be aware of not only the grand manifestations of them, but the petty manifestations of them, as in the French word petite, the little manifestations of them, 
which are so frequent that one would never guess that so much of life is occupied in recouping and recouping and recouping from from a difficulty that might be minuscule, but still we feel the need to recoup it. So I, I don't see a contradiction at all from what you're describing. And you obviously have found a way to do that. And I'm teaching a way to do that uh, that might be slightly different, but the goal is definitely the same, uh, to leave it behind. Uh, as Dylan says, leave the past behind. It will not follow you. And I sincerely believe that if we can leave it behind, the only way that it comes along with us is if we bring it along. And uh, in order for us to bring it, not bring it along, we have to know that we have been bringing it along. So that letting go is, uh, is very much what I'm talking about. Uh, makes sense. I love that. And I love that. Are we still friends here? <laughs> oh, of course. I don't think we ever weren't. But I think that that really helped me see uh, where you're going and that we aren't as far apart as I thought. Now, to play devil's advocate over here, <laughs> and we had this conversation like six months ago, Justin, where you know I've been part Which of one of us group. is the devil, Jonathan. What was that? <laughs> Which one of us is the devil? Uh, in this case, me. <laughs> Okay. I'll <laughs> um, take my turn. Yeah, you do. Um, so six months ago, we kind of touched on this subject when I talked to you. Um, you know, I've been part of a group where they focus on just being what they call pure awareness, you know, letting go into being awareness and not much focus, really none on the obstacles. And I noticed that a lot of people are having and experiencing extreme levels of peace, despite the fact that they didn't really know themselves very well. And I'm wondering what your opinion of that type of work is. I've been pretty isolated. I went through a period of, of exploring to see if there was what was available after I started teaching. You know, I started teaching uh, uh, years and years ago, 40 years ago. And uh, from that time till now, uh, I've crossed paths with all kinds of different methods. And I've found that uh, there are people that respond to different ways of uh, uncovering. And I'm certainly okay with that. I have no negative judgments to anything that's real. If it's real, then I think... Uh, it's okay. And I don't even have judgments to things that are not so real because I know in our world, uh, uh, it could be said that a good fantasy is better than a bad reality. I, and I, I accept that because why not have a good fantasy if, if the option is a bad reality, you know? So, but if the option is a good reality, then that would change the formula, certainly. So I, if it works for somebody, if somebody's satisfied with it, I'm, I have no judgment. I work with, uh, as you know, a relatively small number of people in all the years. The number of people has probably been a couple of hundred, uh, not more than that, not much more than that. And uh, people have gotten something and people have moved on and some people haven't moved on. And I don't really have an opinion I have a, a, a very great uh, respect for thoroughness, diligence, and expertise. And uh, whenever I see someone uh, being thorough and being diligent, 
and having a high priority for something I respected, whether it's auto mechanics or spiritual pursuit or learning how to cook or, or whatever it is. I, I think that without, without that diligence or one-pointedness, it's very difficult to get beneath the surface with anything. And our culture is basically uh, not set up for that one-pointed diligence. It's set up more for dabbling. And I don't, if a person feels okay dabbling, that's certainly, I, I would not pursue that person or try to convince them otherwise. But I, I really think that uh, one-pointedness and, and priority is the way to accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. So if these people you're referring to are being diligent and one-pointed, then as they say, God bless them. Mm-hmm. Brian, why don't you go next? When people come to you, um, is there a process? In other words, do they stay indefinitely, or is there a point at which they are ready to leave? And what would be your ideal um, idea of what they would leave with, if so? Yeah, that's an interesting question at this time, because nobody can leave. (laughs) 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 We have, and, uh, and it's an interesting experiment, too, because... The idea uh, to depart just a, a couple of inches from your question, and I'll come back to it. The idea of community is really uh, uh, been thrust to the, the forefront during this time because people who are solitary are clearly having a more difficult time contending, whereas people who live more in a community situation are uh, their departure from their ordinary lives and our departure from our ordinary life is much less. And we can have a party because we've all agreed to, uh, to uh, uh, quarantine at, to the same degree. So we can have a, a band party. We can have, uh, you know, we can play games. We can do things together. So it's interesting the way culture has our culture has developed that the more affluent people are, the more separate they become. And uh, there's very few exceptions to that because the idea of affluence is I want to, I have all my priorities. I want to make my decisions. I want it to weigh, I want it to be when I want it to be that way means you can't have too many people around. So right in these times, those people find themselves relatively isolated. And uh, I find that really interesting because at some point the people who aren't quite so affluent or really uh, much less affluent uh, in the past and now are part of bigger families and part of more support systems and uh, probably are having a better time of it than uh, than people who aren't and certainly if you go to travel to third world countries as i have considerably then people still are in, in places villaging up, uh, whether it's uh, for COVID or not. There's 19 of us living here. We call ourselves the COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, getting, getting back to your question about people uh, leaving or not leaving and proving that I have uh, my memory is still intact so I can go depart and come back, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, I know that uh, that uh, there are people who who like the way that we live. Uh, we live on uh, a, a very large properties of acreage and animals and 
that's in the country and if they feel that it's constructive for them and i feel it's constructive to them there's not so much staying or leaving if a person feels it's it's constructive to them and and uh, i don't have to necessarily agree or disagree i always give my input if somebody wants it but i don't tell people what to do i think i never tell people what to do i give input and and uh and my opinions if they're sought out and some people numerous people have gone on and i hear from some of them and some of them i don't hear from but the idea of staying and leaving one has to be somewhere so if a person chooses to be in a certain environment and they see it's productive for them and it's not repetitious because there are people who i have seen who i considered their their uh, uh what they were how they were benefiting from this process that i'm presenting is repetitious and that's going and not going anywhere i would definitely uh, tell them my opinion is that uh, it's time for them to move on and have done that. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm fortunate because I'm not really attracted to numbers. And uh, that's part of why I can do what I do. I'm not attracted to uh, the notoriety. I'm not attracted to the... Uh, uh, I'm only recently have, and recently means 30 days, have I involved myself in social media and uh, recording my talks that hasn't happened that happened after 20 years so my idea was always as you asked in the beginning the personal contact and uh, sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's not because the spiritual dynamic is is like dynamite it can be great especially in groups and it can be destructive in groups i tweeted this today as evidence that i'm now on twitter uh, and uh, I tweeted that particular thing today, or maybe yesterday, that the uh, group dynamic uh, can be a considerable benefit. It can be a considerable uh, detriment. And if I see for people that it's being a detriment, I'll tell them. And because there, a person can hide behind this, behind a, a teacher, can hide behind a group dynamic, and hiding is not uh, the way to go. As Dylan says, and I'm quoting him twice, so I must be a Dylan fan, uh, don't follow leaders and watch your parking meters. And I do believe that. Don't follow leaders. I'm not a leader. I'm not looking for followers, except on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that originally attracted me to you and your teaching is that you have uh, a lot of tools and specific points of view that you give students. And Awareness Explorers is partly about how people can practically awaken or become more present, whatever you want to call it. I know you don't normally uh, give tools away because it's not appropriate if you don't know somebody, but can you talk a little bit about tools in general or points of view in general and what you see that they can do or not do? I think that's a really important question because... I've analogized tools to tools, carpentry tools are, are tools, and they're the tools, car mechanic tools are tools, and we recognize them, we use that word, but uh, spiritual tools, you know, the word is, uh, those two words may or may not go together, they certainly don't normally go together, but the, uh, the overriding principle is the same. A tool is something to help you accomplish something it's not something, there is nothing holy about it. There's nothing that 
necessitates its perpetuation. It's something that you use to fix something and then you put it back in its drawer. There's also the proper use of a tool, like say for instance, a drill. A drill is a carpentry tool. I'm a bit of a carpenter and I know how tools can be used. And so a drill is a really efficient tool to do something. But a, a drill is also a heavy piece of machinery and you can use it to hammer in a nail if you don't have a hammer. If you, if you take a drill and you use it for something that it's really not meant for, which is to hammer a nail, uh, it will hammer the nail because it's a hard piece of machinery and you can do that, but the drill will no longer be operational for you. So when you have a tool, uh, and uh, uh, there are numerous examples of people that have used things for what they're not meant for, and drugs are an excellent example because drugs can be used and have historically been used and uh, and I have used them for reasons that are beneficial, and we all know how detrimental they can be if they're misused. Thank you. One of the uh, things when I share your teaching with other people, I talk about compartmentalization and decompartmentalization. You know, so I'm always asking people on Awareness Explorers, like, do you have any suggestions for... Um, how to make use of the time that I walk to my mailbox or the time that I'm doing email or something like that. And a lot of times people go like, what are you even talking about? You know? And one of the things I appreciate about your system is that there was tools really to make use or ideas to make use of any, any moment. So I'm wondering if you can talk about the problem of compartmentalization in spirituality. Certainly is a problem. We know, we know that uh, there are people that have done horrendous things that go to church on Sunday uh, or whatever place they go on Sunday, whether it's a church, a synagogue, a mosque, or anything like that. So we know that saving that feeling of holiness for an isolated time or bringing out the best of yourself in an isolated time uh, leaves something to be desired. And I have recognized that in every system, the danger of that in every system that I have explored and uh, experimented with, and I recognize it in the system that I teach, uh, that people don't really understand that most of the time of our lives is spent on the way somewhere. It's not spent in the moment of something. When we, If we uh, 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 would uh, delineate the moments of our life, we would say, I ate uh, lunch and then I went for a walk or then I did some activity that I did and then I did something else. And we would use them, we would, we would uh, list highlights. But in between those highlights, we walked from place to place. Uh, as you say, walked to the mailbox, we uh, brushed our teeth, we did all these things. And, and for life to only grant us the feeling of connection to the internal reality or the feeling of connection to peace or the feeling of connection to how one would describe uh, something lofty to be relegated to special meetings, uh, special get-togethers, uh, when it's called for, when it's allowed. Uh, that would be a major ripoff as far as I was concerned. So I did put a lot of my energy and was even taught in that way that uh, make sure that you recognize 
the the uh, downside of this compartmentalization that you find your your holiness is uh, subject to circumstance. And uh, uh, Leonard Cohen said, when you're not feeling holy, your loneliness tells you you've sinned. And I think that's a lot of life is we're going from one end to the other end and not recognizing that really 95% of life is transition. And after this uh, talk we have, we'll all move to a different place and we won't recognize, will we really be alive during or experience the life within us and feel the dynamic of that life while we're going from place to place, from event to event? And generally, when people explore that in the macrocosm and in the microcosm, people discover that, uh, no, they're not. They didn't even know there was a transition. It's just hurrying to get to the next place. So I have addressed that question and develop some tools that I think really effectively uh, address that question. Maybe some of the most effective tools that I've uh, uh, developed. On your website, um, in the section on writings, uh, you have a little uh, inset box um, that contained, the title of it was one of my favorite phrases that I came across, making space for the intrusion of spirit. And you talk about how to simplify your life and um, how to create a kind of environment, a personal environment for the intrusion of spirit. But I would love to hear more about the actual intrusion of spirit and what what that means to you. What what is spirit and and how how does it intrude? Well, the the more we get into the esoteric, the more that language becomes uh, a, an important factor because in the, the new age culture, if we could call it that, terminology is, is uh, abounding. And that terminology is not necessarily agreed on, but it is used. And uh, a lot of it is feel-good language. And feel-good language is nice, but feel-good language, in my opinion, is not uh, as, as, as essential as precise language. And uh, we have precise language in so many things, like I'm mentioning a drill, and if you're talking about uh, carpentry, you know, you talk to somebody and you say, you say, uh, okay, we need a 3 uh, pilot hole for a quarter inch a clearance hole. And, and the person knows exactly what you're talking about when you're doing that drilling in carpentry or we need uh, 120 grit sandpaper and start with uh, 80 grit sandpaper or whatever. And we know we have that, but spirituality does not depend on precise language, but I do. And uh, the people around me come to agree on terms. It's not like they're correct or incorrect, but they are agreements. Like you're asking me to agree with you on what I mean by spirit. And we'd have to probably do that before I started spewing words about spirit, there would have to be an agreement because the sequence of life, the sequence of a communication really is uh, reception and then interpretation and then transmission. That's what we do. We receive just like a TV. We interpret just like a TV and we transmit, not like a TV. <laughs> we transmit subjectively, very subjectively. 
And so uh, uh, I have put a lot of energy into coming up with mutual agreements of the interpretation phase, because we're always receiving impressions, you know, and uh, but our interpretations are are so different that a person can say, uh, you know, you tell a little kid, uh, don't go in the street because you want to protect that kid's life. And don't go in the street when there's traffic there. And you might have to even say it forcefully because you don't want that kid to do that. And if the kid's not listening to you, you might even grab that kid by the arm and say, don't go in that street. But somebody looking from a distance might say, you're being, why are you being so rough with that kid? Because their interpretation is different than yours. You're trying to protect that kid from getting hit by a car. They're seeing that you're being abusive. So, so much of that may be an extreme example, and I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not, uh, 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 you, you understand the rest of my sentence, not guilty. So, <laughs> so, so uh, but I think that uh, getting to talk about the inner experiences, which I know that so many people have had, and certainly know that I have had, and to try to do something called share them is very tricky and very difficult. So I go mostly like, uh, I look at you and I believe you've gone somewhere into your internal life. I can feel it. I know that you've gone there. And maybe you see the same about me. Maybe you don't. It's not so important from my point of view. But I, I respect it. I regard it. However you've gotten there, God bless you. And, uh, and like that. But what I'm actually going to be able to convey to you in it, uh, you know, we both have, we, you know, in, in, uh, during the war, I saw a movie recently about people who are jumping out of airplanes and two people who have jumped out of airplanes, they don't have to describe this experience to each other. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they know exactly what it was like. Uh -huh. And uh, so you and I know exactly what it's like. And uh, I'm going to leave it at there. Well, I find that so fascinating because I was thinking a very similar thing. I mean, here I am asking questions and you're giving answers. And I find myself feeling some connection that is apart from the actual content of the answers, if you know what I mean. There's something like, wow, I'd, I think it would be really cool to be there right now. You know, just 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 chatting away now maybe it's because you know some of my favorite things are in the picture like pianos guitars maps and books but i think there's something i don't know i sense something beyond the actual meaning and the content of the words when i um describe some of my time together with you justin and people you know want to know like what's something oh they want a lot of times people ask me you know that they say i seem different in how i approach life sometimes and they have questions about you and one of the things i find myself sometimes talking about is how you instilled a experimental attitude in me and that's what i would call like a point of view or it's almost a tool but it's certainly a way of approaching life and Rather than me blab to my friends about it, I, I'm hoping that maybe you can share what you mean by that and how it can be helpful in the spiritual journey. Uh huh. Well, as you know, I consider that phrase 
and the meaning of that phrase to be very significant to uh, that uh, if if we project the goal, probably the goal that we project is going to be distorted from where we're going to actually get to. Uh, it would be a huge coincidence that we project the goal of we're going to France and we're going to do such and such and such a thing, that our experience there is going to be exactly what we projected. And if we're not prepared to have an experimental attitude, this phrase that you're using in this trip, we will always be trying to make that thing happen. And we'll probably not experience what's given to us because of our, uh, because of our thrust in trying to make things happen. So I've promoted this idea of experimental attitude, uh, especially when a person is taking on something that may be non-threatening, may be non-dangerous uh, in any way, personally or impersonally or at any level, but it's new. And that person, uh, the more that that person can put their ideas of where it will lead them aside, the more uh, opportunity that person would have to experience what they're given by doing that practice. So uh, uh, the experimental attitude that uh, that Columbus has when he hit the waves, you know, and, and started sailing across the ocean, it, it had to be there because he didn't really know where he was going. So he had to proceed. And that's that word explore, the explorers that I've grown up knowing those, uh, you know, uh, De Soto and LaSalle and, and, and Columbus and Vasco da Gama and all those heroes that, went out exploring, I have adopted that word to, to myself that uh, life really does present itself with opportunities for exploration. And for exploration, you have to have an experimental attitude. And for explanation, you just have to find some way to close the door. You explain it, it's behind you, you're done with it. But I uh, very much regard the process of exploring as exciting, uh, revelatory, uh, meaningful, and really a, a, a different way to live than, than closing the doors. So this experimental attitude is one that I promote in people around me, and uh, I think people find it useful. I certainly find it useful. This, uh, in this moment, uh, this uh, talking to you and, and uh, is uh, reflected. I have no idea where this is going. I've, I've given probably a thousand, and that sounds like a lot, of meetings where I've talked for an hour. I never rehearse. I never, uh, uh, never anything. I just see what, what's, let's find out what's going to come out here. And yeah. uh, mostly it comes out okay, but without an experimental attitude, I would never be able to do that. I know for me, the idea of experimental attitude allowed me to try a bunch of things I normally wouldn't have tried, whether it be living with a group of people or taking you on as a teacher or trying different courses. It's all like, well, I'll give that a try for three months and see how it goes. And that provided a lot of looseness in my approach to life that wouldn't have been there because I was not a loose guy when I met you. So I, I thank you for that. It's really had a big impact. Also, since not being part of the group, it's had a big impact, including the experiment of doing this podcast with Brian. But you had something to say, Brian. Well, I was just going to say, I love the idea of the experimental attitude. And it seems to also dovetail with something you said earlier, 
about teachers and students in that, I mean, there's a, an idea that in the spiritual life, what we need to do is find a guru who's going to tell us the exact steps and that we're going to do it. And then we follow those steps and bang, we're enlightened. When what we really have to do is is find the openness to see, to look, to try, to see what works in within ourself and the openness to to, to sort of do have a back and forth and share that with someone else who might have been there before, but is a guide as opposed to a, um, a, a purveyor of rules. Mm -hmm. I know um, you mentioned that uh, you want to do what we what you called a a guided surprise instead of a guided meditation. But before we do that, um, anything that we didn't ask you or anything that you'd want to convey to me or our listeners that you think would be good to convey? Well, I could talk a little bit about meditation because it's something that uh, I regard as the, uh, the, uh, the step after all the other steps that uh, leads to the opening and the connection that... Uh, tends to sort all the other details of life out. It gives us, it le potentially leads us to some place where we can rest the weight of our lives actually. And uh, so all the individual remedies of uh, sorting, working out relationships and working out employment and working out a place to live, all those things are very difficult to sort out because they're so ponderous. And uh, the, the demands are so great that uh, we succeed in those things and that they go right, uh, that uh, it makes them really impossible. It makes marriage impossible. It makes uh, a job impossible. It makes a place to live impossible because all these things are so important that they couldn't possibly be things that we can rest the weight of our lives on. And if there were nothing that we could rest the weight of our lives on, then we would have to seek the most permanent thing of those external things. But there is an internal experience that we can rest the weight of our lives on. And if we can, that we can discover in meditation, it basically is a product of subtraction, subtracting everything external. And what we're left is with that experience and uh, the process of getting to a finer place in our personality, because that step of meditation requires a level of fineness that is generally not our state of being because we're fraught with negative emotions and restlessness and rushing and things like that and judgments and if we can come to a finer place where we leave some of those behind then we are really candidates for using meditation in the way that it actually can be used because to use meditation as a, uh, a relaxation exercise is, it certainly is effective, but it certainly is unfortunate because meditation can be the exercise that takes you to that internal reality. And if you use it for relaxation, like, uh, like the drill, if you use it uh, for not for its highest and best use, you might not end up being able to use it for that other possibility. You might but you might not because you've used it for something that it's not its highest and best use. So in my view, the preparation for meditation is life. Life is an impeccable 
tool for meditation. It's not necessary that we create artificial circumstances because life has it all, especially if we don't hide from it. Our personalities come out, they come out, they come out, and they can, we can uh, leave things behind. We can leave densities behind. We can leave rough edges behind. And then with that leaving behind, we can be really candidates for using meditation for that internal experience. So if you want to, if it's time and you want to do something called a, uh, uh, or we want to do something called a, a uh, guided meditation, I, I, my view of that is that, uh, that people should learn to uh, relax, not with meditation, but relax in different ways. Take a walk in the woods, listen to music, play music, whatever way, play with a little play with a, a pet some way to do that and then when you're relaxed go to meditate don't go to meditate when you're in a coarse state and hoping it will relax you because of the reasons that i said so uh, guided meditation with our experimental attitude intact here matthew and i are going to play a little music just maybe for a minute or two and uh and people can close their eyes and relax and not meditate. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. And that, Matt, thank you. Uh, feel a little bit altered from that. Um, I do have uh, one question, which uh, you may or may not want to answer. 
and uh, we could edit out if you don't. Um, I uh, had an experience a few weeks back where I was recording something on my iPhone, a song about letting go. And, um, and then uh, I heard a loud sound and I turned and my phone was gone. I hadn't moved. And um, so I, you know, being that I hadn't moved, I looked all around where I was, couldn't find it. And then being that was my phone, I could call my phone. So I called my phone and it was on a shelf behind a curtain about seven feet away from me uh, in the back something I couldn't reach and you had to move a curtain and the whole thing. And I know once uh, we had had the experience of mischievous entities that can do stuff like that, uh, there was no, other than I was, I was trying to write a song about letting go of which I obviously wasn't because I was frantically looking for my phone then. And I found that funny, but is there anything you can say about, what that is or what happened in a situation like that. Right. That's like shit happens of a whole nother dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know, something that I've understood is that uh, my, my position and my gift and my job is to handle what can be uh, affected. And, uh, Whatever else comes in to support that from wherever it comes in is certainly welcome, but uh, that the only way that I know that we can invite it in is to be receptive, to be open, to not conceptualize too much, to, not, to be more passive in relation to forces that are obviously finer than the forces of, uh, that, that we generally operate under. And uh, every once in a while, uh, that shit happens of a different kind, and it can, that we actually know that it is, and we know that it isn't. I have put really very little time in differentiating. Uh, I'll take help in any way that it comes. Uh, the only reason that I can do what I do is not because I'm one of those people, one of those enlightened people uh, that... Uh, walked, was walking down the street and something hit him in the head and their whole life changed. Nothing hit me in the head. And, uh, well, a few things hit me in the head as a, of course, I grew up in the Bronx, but none of them led to enlightenment. So I'm not one of those people, but I did pay very close attention to the steps along the way. I paid attention to what helped me open, what seemed to get me closed, what seemed to get me toward what seemed to push me away. I paid very close attention to those things. So I know the steps that I took and I know the steps that are possible. So I can do this thing called assist people in, in uh, taking those steps, not take them for them, certainly, but assist them. But the things that, uh, that I haven't been able to affect, which are the things that, you know, we can call them grace, we can call them good fortune, we can call them luck, we don't ever know for sure what they are uh, I, I let them be and welcome them in whenever they come and certainly they do come this has been very special for me and i think for brian as well and uh it's good to see that you're healthy and 
I miss you, and uh, I'm just glad that we got to spend so much time together. This has been a lot of fun for me. Me too. Mm-hmm. So our listeners, please pass this on if you got something from it. And uh, our website's awarenessexplorers.com where we have all our episodes and guided meditations, and in this case, a guided surprise. And say thanks to Matthew. That was really beautiful. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks Take so care. much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Till next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.